Busy day, busy day, busy day. All right, all right. We're uh, back in business once again. And man, it's a heavy week. Heavy, heavy week. I love it here. Um, Fig, we got... You name a big player that we get a lot of uh, traffic from. Yes. They have news today. Right. Um, you, We're talking Osaka, Kyrgios, Federer. I'm going to sprinkle in some Hugh Jackman. We got, sure, why not? We got, some, <laughs> we got a lot to discuss today, man. So uh, I don't know where you want to start because they are all headline-worthy topics. Right. We're going to start with Naomi Osaka. Now, Naomi Osaka has not done a press conference since the French Open, and she has returned and will play in the Southern Open, uh, which is, uh, sorry, the Cincinnati Open, Mm. Southwestern. And she is going to play Coco Goff in the second round, by the way, and that's to be announced. That's hot. That's a hot matchup. Right. But first, she did have a uh, pre-tournament interview. And we're going to play that. She hasn't had one since the French Open. So go ahead and play it. Question about press conferences and specifically after losses. I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about how those can be difficult. Maybe even give some advice to people on this side of the Zoom. How we can help make it a better experience for athletes who are going through difficult losses and difficult moments as we ask them questions and pressers. Um, yeah, I mean, for me... I feel like most of the time, this is just me as a person. Um, I'm pretty open when it comes to press conferences. Um, I feel like I've been that way my whole life. And um, there are times where I would say there's people that I don't know that well that ask me really, really sensitive questions. Um, And then especially after a loss that kind of amplifies a bit so I would say like you know even repetitive questions like questions we've been asked before but maybe you guys weren't there at the the previous press conference um just like maybe read transcripts um I'm not like uh I'm not a professional in press conferences or anything but yeah just to like make it a bit more of a friendlier experience I would say would you would you like to see where it would be maybe an opt out in certain situations would be a little more available and understood then as well? Yeah, I would say like maybe if we could be given a, a sort of a sick day, like you know, I feel like we get fined if we don't do press conferences, but sometimes we feel really like sad and um, I feel like maybe there should be a, a rule that we could you know, maybe take a sick day from that and maybe respond to you guys in emails and things like that. I feel like it would be kind of fair, but um, then again, I'm only speaking from my side and I don't know how, you know, your guys' whole, um, I guess maybe you want to capture us when we're like straight off the court as well. So I'm not sure what's fair, but. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Chris. Okay, so there is a couple of, um, interesting facts that she talked about not facts but issues number one was taking sick days Mm. number two was reading transcripts instead of asking the same questions over and over Mm. 
So let me ask, those are the two bold statements that she made. Mm. So let's talk about one of them, which is telling the newspaper people to read uh, statements before or transcripts before giving an interview so they don't repeat themselves over and over. What are your thoughts on Osaka saying that to the press? Um, I like that one. Uh, I've heard that suggestion and idea in several platforms for celebrities, athletes, uh, people in general, you know, which is everyone wants to ask you the clickbaity question, you know, even though you've already answered it. You know, and when it's something that hits a bit of a sore spot, okay, I can handle it the first time. Do I want you to keep poking at the sore spot over and over and over? Like maybe, you know, for example, with Serena, hey, you can't get past Osaka. You still can't get past Osaka. And, you know, maybe she goes through maybe five journalists within a week asking her about losing to Osaka over and over. Her response might be, hey, um, I've kind of gotten over this. Um, I've explained how I feel about playing against Osaka, and this is my thoughts. Maybe you should just quote that because that's how I feel uh, instead of trying to trigger me again. So I, I agree with that. I like that. Now, you nailed it in the head. Obviously, they're trying to get a fresh reaction yeah. to what's happening in the spot. So to a point, yeah, it makes sense. But then if you go to the other uh, part, which is the newspaper need to sell newspapers. Right. So the way they do it is trying to get that fresh reaction. Mm-hmm. So both ways make sense. I think that she sort of fell into the trap because she hasn't been giving an interview since may so they're gonna ask her these questions absolutely now the second question was taking an absence Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on naomi osaka suggesting taking an absence from uh interviews not as big of a fan of this one personally um We've seen different types of press conferences and how they transpire. And maybe this isn't within her character, but I'm sure you're familiar with like the Russell Westbrooks, the Marshawn Lynch's of the world. Um, These athletes, when they have press conferences and they're not where they want to be mentally, they're pretty dismissive and they have special strategies to get through their press conferences without feeling disturbed. Um, I think Russell Westbrook, he, uh, he no matter what question you asked him, he told you about a fashion show he went to. That was his strategy. They'd go, Russ, uh, how do you feel about always prioritizing triple doubles over your team winning? Is this a thing? And he'd go, the fashion conference last week was so good, guys. It was so good, you know. And then also, um, Marshawn Lynch, no matter what question you asked him, he would respond with, I'm simply here to get paid. To get paid. That's it. <laughs> you know, that's how he answered the questions. Um some form of strategy like that may be a bit more up her alley, I think. Something a little more dismissive of media and press. Um, because she she said it herself, she's an open book. And sometimes that can be to your fault. Um, that can cause you to go through more emotional baggage than you want to. Um, maybe she needs to come up with some new strategies. Because sick days, to me, is not really an option. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong there. Let's play her game. Let's go with the sick days. Mm-hmm. How many should she be able to skip? 
That's funny. I don't know. Uh, what's it going to be? You get one per tournament, and then when you lose, you just don't go to See, a See, that's too much. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. I'm thinking one. I'm thinking one. Uh-huh. And the reason why is let's go with Serena Williams. Yeah. When she wasn't found for two weeks, mm. and everybody thought she was missing, and she was finally found, and there was pizza boxes all over her apartment. Uh-huh. That was one. Yeah. The other one was Djokovic. He mm. pegged the line person and just left. Yeah. Right? So, fine. I'll give it that part. Yeah. So, I, I'm thinking one. But when you don't want to give an interview every time you lose, especially in a Grand Slam, there's four Grand Slams. Yeah. So, what? All of a sudden, you get four absences? Right. That really doesn't make any sense. Here's, here's the other flip side of kind of to support what you're saying. No matter how long you run... The question's still waiting. Right. You know, uh, we're seeing this right now. She's been avoiding press conferences for however long. The second she sits down again, guess what? They're going to ask her. We're here. Now we have the questions all stockpiled for you. So, And it's going to come hard. Yeah, and it's going to be a long press conference for you. Instead of us just talking about today's match, we got to talk about the last three months. Right. Um, so, yeah, she, she felt, I think she reacted to more questions about what's been going on in her life than... Her tennis. Now, as I stated, if we were to do it her way, I think one is good. Mm-hmm. But then she needs to be ready for when she has the next press conference yeah. to answer why she missed. Yeah. And that's what happened with these questions. She was not ready to answer these questions. Mm-hmm. And in the next clip, we will hear that she was completely blasted. Yeah. Go ahead and play that second clip. Please state your name and publication and ask your question. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's Paul Doherty from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Let's follow up on that last question. Um, you're not crazy about dealing with, with, with us, especially in this format, yet you have a lot of outside interests that are, that are served by having a media platform. I guess my question is, how do you balance the two? And, and also, do you have anything you'd like to share with us about what you did say to Simone Biles? Um, when you say I'm not crazy about dealing with you guys, what does that refer to? Well, you've said you, you don't especially like the press conference format. Mm. And yet that seems to be the, the, obviously, the most widely used means of communicating to the media and through the media to the public. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I would say the occasion, like when to do the press conference is what I feel is the most difficult but this is something that I can't I can't really speak for everybody I can only speak for myself but ever since I was younger I've had a lot of media interest on me and I think it's because of my background as well as you know how I play um because in the first place I'm a tennis player that's why a lot of people are interested in me. So I would say in that regards, I'm quite different to a lot of people. And I can't really help that there are some things that I tweet or some things that I say that um, kind of create a lot of news articles or things like that. And I know that it's because I've won a couple Grand Slams um, and I've gotten to do a lot of press conferences that these things happen. but I would also say, like, I 
I'm not really sure how to balance the two. Like, I'm figuring it out at the same time as you are, I would say. Okay. So you can completely tell that she was completely unprepared mm-hmm. and she was bombarded. Now, here's something that the viewers, or sorry, the listeners may not know, which is the very next question. She started to cry before the question was asked. Yeah. And her agent said that the Cincinnati Inquirer was extremely rude and they did it to get a reaction out of her Mm. first of all do you think that the cincinnati inquirer was rude honestly not really um i think that she's just not really prepared i think that's kind of i support what you're saying you know i don't think that I predicted like I don't I can't see myself or someone I know crying in that situation um, off of just the question. It didn't feel offensive. It didn't feel especially invasive. It didn't feel like an attack necessarily. Um, What do you think? What do you think there? I honestly think that it wasn't an attack. I actually think that she just was unprepared and the way it she looked. Mm is why he said what he said. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> what I think is happening is that she is just unprepared and she doesn't know how to cope with the tour. And that gets to a person. Mm-hmm. You know, she's admitted that she doesn't um, particularly like traveling. Yeah. She doesn't like going from tournament to tournament. Mm -hmm. So that's getting to her mentally. Mm -hmm. She also stated that there's a lot of media pressure on her because of who she is. Yeah. So she doesn't like the spotlight and she likes to be in control. Mm -hmm. And you've seen it in her documentary, if you saw it, how she reacts when a coach tells her something and she just blanks out. Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think that she is proof that what the big three have done, what Serena has done, is bigger than just being good at tennis. Um, I think she's a, a prime example of the, you have to be phenomenal on the court and off the court to be a true champion in tennis and, you know, to leave a, a massive legacy, you know. If you don't know how to handle what's the... The spotlight, the criticism, the scrutiny, the pressures, the being under that magnifying glass, um, it's going to affect your mind off court and your body on court. And hopefully Osaka can find the missing pieces to her puzzle because this this stuff isn't going anywhere, no matter what. It's going to be there and other players have proven it can be resolved. So. Right. Uh, she's going to have to follow in their footsteps. I think she really needs to reach out to some of these athletes and seek mentorship. I agree. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. If you have more. No, no, how's it? Yeah. Now going on to Coco Goff. Mm-hmm. Now Coco Goff had questions as well. Um, we don't have the clip, but she did say, I'm going to read it. She said she was asked about why does she double fault so much? Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, definitely would say it was more of a mental issue. Yeah. When I had those double fault problems, I had in practice making 40 serves in a row. But then when I go to the match, I'd start double faulting. Yeah. I think. And then she also stated, I also think that the media just 
pressures you and just makes it obvious what you do and it gets to you mentally. Yeah. But you have to go on the courts and practice. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. Then she made a parallel about the twisties, which is what Simone Biles was talking about. And then she said, it's not comparable to the twisties because double faulting can't get you injured, but it does get to you mentally. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on what Coco Goff said to the reporters? I think that she's partially right, which is that um, maybe when there's no one discussing an issue, it's easier for you to put it behind you and just uh, perform. But when all kinds of platforms are you know, putting it on the forefront, they put it on the front of your mind as well. So when you're out there on the court, you're thinking, oh, everyone here is watching my serve. Everyone here is thinking about my serve as much as I'm thinking about my serve. Now I have to perform for two groups, myself and all the spectators, instead of maybe just having to perform for yourself. I think that a lot of these new athletes are struggling to separate the spectators from the match and the media from the match and focus on just the court and tune it all out. And if you want me to be honest, This is what makes a professional athlete a professional athlete. The ability to separate external variables from what's happening in the moment. I mean, you're very familiar with professional soccer. Right. If you let the crowd get to you or media get to you in professional soccer, you are finished. It is such a massive sport. And there's so the the people in the crowd are doing the most extremely ridiculous things on earth. We're talking pyrotechnics are in the crowd. Right. You know, and there's no etiquette involved. Oh, you know? no. They're doing what they do. So for me, it's I spoke to a guy who's a professional soccer player. He was an ex-professional. And he told me what separated him from other people that he had grew up playing with in all of his uh, smaller leagues and camps and stuff like that was his ability to zone in and focus no matter what was going on around him. And he said, when you get to the professional level, that's a skill set you have to have to perform at an exceptional level. I think that we're starting to see a lot of athletes slip through the cracks and get to these high levels. And then they get exploited and exposed because they still can't quite handle the scrutiny. So these players are going to have a hard time surpassing these previous athletes who were able to do that. I agree. Now... She does lead the WTA in double faults. She has 214 double faults in 42 matches. Baby's Zverev. So it did get to her, obviously, mm-hmm. but she's improved. And I think her um, answer was extremely mature. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, it, it gets to you mentally, but I'm going on the court. I'm working on it. And I think that she's a little men- more mentally strong than Osaka. Not a little, a lot. Yes. Yeah, she really is. And especially for her age. She's 17 years old. And uh, this matchup between Goff and Osaka is going to be extremely interesting because Osaka has stated in the past that she hates losing to Coco Goff. Mm-hmm. She said in the documentary. Yeah, she said, she I love you. I love her, but I can't lose to her. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. If Coco Goff wins, I'd love to hear Osaka's press conference after the match. That would be funny. <laughs> Moving on. Sissy Pass makes a statement. Now, 
Sissy Pass was talking about the big three not being in Cincinnati. This is the first time because Rafael Nadal withdrew. Or sorry, mm-hmm. in Toronto. My apologies. Rafael Nadal withdrew. This was, this was the first time that no big three member was in Montreal or Canada since 2001. Wow. He said, what they do doesn't affect what I do. There are spots for the newcomers to come and take their spot. This is our time to shine. Do you agree with Stefano Sissipas' statement? I don't fully understand what he means by that. What is he trying to say? He basically stated, they're not here. So now it's our turn to shine. Because what they do doesn't affect what we do. And it's our turn. That, yes and no. Um, is it your turn? Yes. Is it your turn because they don't have a choice? No. <laughs> it's your turn simply because they're physically not present. Um, you haven't yet proven to me that when you're ready, you're going to take it. It's being given to you. You know, taking it and it being given are very different. Them stepping off the court and saying, I'm not playing in this event is not the same as you saying, I don't care what event you play in. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't agree with that. He's the last person who should be able to even say that after what happened to him being two sets up. Yeah. Yeah. He was up two sets and it was there for the taking and he dropped it. So um, I respect his game. I think he's an amazing athlete. But unfortunately, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Don't tell me you're going to take what's yours and it's on you to do what you want to do and it's your turn unless you can do it when everyone's present. Yeah, I I like what he said because we talk about we we're just talking about the mental health. He's showing that he's mentally there yeah. and nothing's going to affect him. But as you stated, you have to do it when it matters too. Yeah, absolutely. And he had a shot mm-hmm. and he even admitted uh, next time I know that two sets isn't enough mm-hmm. and that I have to play the full five sets in order to make it. He said that he dropped the ball after the second set. Yeah, he said it was done. I have after the French Open, he said that. Mm-hmm. So I respect that and I respect what he said, but he needs to finish. Mm-hmm. Moving on, Medvedev wins in Canada. Now he has four Masters 1000 titles. He is tied with Zverev with four, mm-hmm. and only the big three have more than Medvedev and Zverev. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Medvedev is a contender for the U.S. Open? Yeah, I do. Um, I think you might agree, because we remember how Medvedev performed, I think, uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah, 2019, he had a phenomenal run, and I was not mad at the way he went out, and I was not mad at the way he played throughout that entire tournament. And he looks no worse. He can only play better. I, I like the way he's playing. I like his mentality. Out of the, the next gen of group, these next guys, he seems the most stable mentally to me. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself by saying that because we saw what happened at the Australian Open. Right. Um, he got pummeled. But for me, that was the second toughest match in tennis history besides playing Nadal at the French. And, you know, if he lost there, sure, fine. This will be an opportunity. This is the easiest slam for him to get, in my, in my viewpoint. If there's ever a time to beat Djokovic, it's going to be at the U.S. Open for a slam. So, I like his odds. Uh, I like where he's at. I like how he's playing. 
And I'm in support of Medvedev. I am a fan. In 2019, he was a finalist in in Canada. Yeah. He beat Djokovic in Cincinnati. Right. And then was down two sets to nothing against Nadal. Came back and made it to five. Right. He lost, but at least he came back. Right. It's huge. Huge. This is Medvedev time out right. of the, the, the uh, next gen. Mm-hmm. This is his time mm-hmm. right now. He's doing it again. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what he's going to do in Cincinnati. And he's a big contender at the U.S. Open. Especially yeah. with Nadal being the four seed. He's going to face Sissy Pass in the semifinals. Right. So he has a clear, clear path to make it to the finals. He has a very strong chance here. Right. I love it. And... His opponents, uh, Nadal and Djokovic, have to overcome everything in their path to get to his final. And neither one of them look like they're playing their absolute best tennis of the year right now. So this is a good opportunity. Right. Moving on. Uh, Opelka was trying to be funny, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, um, he, he was actually extremely entertaining with this surf bot thing he was saying. Yeah, what's a surf bot? <sighs> a surf bot is... The way he explained it, I think it was basically somebody that has a big serve that's kind of boring or something. Like, they don't have a complete game, but their serve's so phenomenal. Right. That uh, they kind of just float through the professional tour and get their wins, right? Right. They were trying to put Curios in that um, level, and then he was all, no, Curios is too entertaining to be a serve bot. Let's, uh, let's hear so what he had to say. Let's hear the clip. We were, Isra and I were joking around about like what the definition of a, of a serve bot is, because... We were, we were joking, like, is Kyrgios, like, considered first team all bot? Because um, he holds serve a lot. The stats kind of point towards him holding a lot, and it's considered a possible potential first team all bot. Right now it's Isner, his first team, I'm first team, uh, Karlovic, his first team, Raonic, and I think Kevin Anderson. But um, Kyrgios makes a case for, for it. But we kind of came to the conclusion today that um, – Serve bots have to be a little bit miserable to watch, and he's too too exciting, too fun to watch, so he doesn't fall into the serve bot, the full first team serve bot category. I'm a. <laughs> I have a. I, there's a bit to unpack here. Right. Um, first and foremost, I do believe in serve bot. I believe in it. Um, I do think there is a specific class of players that come out there and they just have a complete cannon. That is almost, you just have to guess. Right. Um, and then they try to just build their game around that. And maybe they're not the most phenomenal athletes, but they're good enough to build around that and perform, you know? And then they only really lose to players that cannot overcome the weapon. Um, Isner, definitely. Opelka, originally. Um, I think that's slowly changing. Karlovich, definitely. And then he said Raonic and uh, Kevin Anderson. Right. I don't know if I agree with Kevin Anderson. I like Kevin Anderson overall as a player. I think he's almost like a miniature Burditch. He's a decent mover. He has decent strokes. Uh, he's good from the ground. Uh, I like Kevin Anderson. So I'm not calling Kevin Anderson bot. And on top of that, Kevin Anderson was in two uh, Grand Slam finals. Right. I, I think that was almost disrespectful. I, I'm surprised he didn't put Sam Query. Sam Query is a better serve bot than um, Kevin Anderson. Right. So I was surprised. 
but he made more statements. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, congratulations. This is the first time he's beaten a, a top uh, three player. Yeah. He beat Sissy Best. Yeah. This is the first time he, he's made it to a Masters 1000 final as well. Mm-hmm. So he had a heck of a run. Yeah. But then he also made a statement that is actually interesting. He said that Sissy Pass is the second best player on tour right now after Djokovic. Mm-hmm. He also said that Stefano Sissy Pass has the second best forehand on tour right now. So let's talk about the player. Do you think Stefano Sissy Pass is the second best player on tour right now? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, but I think that's a very good take. I'm not mad at him saying that, and I don't think it's far-fetched. I personally right now like Medvedev more than Sisipa. Um, and I, of course, obviously, I like Djokovic more. After that, it's very gray. Um, you can make a play or debate for almost anyone, but I really do like Medvedev right now. And I think that Sisipa is an undeniable top four player on the tour right now this moment no way you can debate it yeah i was thinking back and forth mm-hmm. because we've stated every time sissy pass enters a tournament fourth round or better right looks and excellent fourth round yeah he was down two sets to nothing uh, against nadal at the australian open mm-hmm. came back and won right now medvedev is making the case too because okay yes Stefanos was beat after beating Nadal at the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. So Medvedev got a tired Stefanos. Right. But is that his fault? We can't say one player is better than the other one after a match like that. You know? Right. So you're right. That's absolutely right. Uh, Medvedev right now, he just won in Canada. Mm-hmm. This is his time. Right. Uh, technically speaking, on hard court, I'm taking Medvedev over Stefanos. So am I. So am I. So... Right now, I'm not mad at what Opelka said, mm-hmm. but right now I'm thinking Medvedev is better than Stefanos at this point in time. Okay, we're on the same page. Now let's talk about the forehand. He said that Stefanos has the second best forehand on tour. Do you agree with that? This is a loaded question because is it Stefanos's forehand that's so phenomenal or is it the fact that you can't exploit anything else in his game which allows him to play better forehands? Because he does have a very reliable full game. Um, I think that maybe there are a few forehands that are a little bigger with more spin. Like Berrettini, for example. But the rest of the game doesn't support it well enough for him to be successful. So I'm going to give him a top five forehand. And then if you combine his forehand with the support and pillars of the rest of his game, it does become one of the best forehands on tour. But not just the forehand isolated by itself. Yeah, I agree. He's more of a well-rounded player. He doesn't have the one big weapon. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Berrettini with those RPMs and the and the speed of his forehand, it's, it's huge. He's almost getting carried by his forehand. Right. Versus Sissipa's not getting carried by anything in his game. He's just phenomenal. Right. So I, I could say that Berrettini has a better forehand. Exactly. Um. Obviously, Nadal. Obviously, he's not carried by his forehand either. But, but his forehand is crazy. But his forehand is crazy. Yeah. So, to think that Stefano Sissipas has a better forehand than Rafael Nadal. No way. It's insane. I don't think Sissipas would say that. Right. So, it is what it is. Last qu- last question. <laughs> last uh, topic. Federer is going to miss for months. Now, he left 
a message on Instagram about how he feels and what's going to happen. So if you want to play it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's check out Senior Fed. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Roger here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, listen, hey, Roger. I just wanted to How's it going? you or give you a bit of an update. What's been going on since Wimbledon? As you can imagine, it's not been simple. Um, I've been doing a lot of checks with the doctors as well on my knee, getting all the information as I hurt myself further. During the grass court season in Wimbledon, and it's just not the way to go forward. So unfortunately, they told me for the medium to long term uh, to feel better, I will need to will need surgery. So I decided to do it. I'll be on crutches for for many weeks, and then also uh, out of the game for many months. So it's going to be difficult, of course, in some ways. But at the same time, uh, I know it's the right thing to do because I want to be healthy. I want to be running around later as well again, and I want to give myself um, a glimmer of hope also to return to the tour in some shape or form. Um, I am realistic, don't get me wrong. I know how difficult it is at this age right now to, to do another surgery and, um, and try it. But uh, look, um, I wanna be healthy and uh, I'll go through the rehab process. I think also with the goal um, while I'm still active, which I think is gonna help me during this, uh, this long period of time. So also big thank you already now, maybe for all your messages that are gonna be coming in, coming in because you guys are always incredible. You always think of me. Uh, some of you suffer with me. Uh, some of you just uh, wish me the best. I want to see me back on court or see me smile. I am doing okay, so I appreciate that. And I'll update you as I move along with my, my rehab. So uh, I wish you all the best, and uh, I'll check in with you soon. Take care. Bye. Okay. Now, Federer said a lot without saying a lot. And I'm what I mean by that is he said that he was hurt in the grass court season. Mm-hmm. Now... We did talk about the double, the bagel that he got, the second one in his career, correct? Yep. Now, he said it without saying it. He said that he was injured during that match. Mm-hmm. Do you know that he has never retired from a, from a match in his career? I thought he had won, but if it's a never, I okay, I believe it. So, he did not want to take that from her coach. Yeah. Whether or not he was hurt or not, he's showing his warrior spirit and just playing through it and just letting the guy have his moment. Right. Now, I thought that it's extremely impressive. Mm. Also, Andy Roddick said, if my son has a hundredth of the potential or humility humility that Federer has, I'm a happy man. Yeah. So he said that high praise of Roger Federer. Right. And that's from a guy who has every right to hate his guts. Right. Because Andy Roddick's career has a totally different storyline without Federer present. Right. He wins Wimbledon at least three times easily. Yeah. So let's break it down. Everything he said. He said he wants to be able to walk again and he has to go through this surgery. Mm-hmm. With, with you hearing that, do you think he can come back? in any shape or form i'll be honest with you um i told you from the get-go uh when we first found out he had a significant knee injury this is just one of those injuries that changes you as a man um knee injuries are groundbreaking you know so many athletes are a fraction of themselves afterwards i think of derrick rose i think of clay thompson i think of a lot of athletes and You'd have to be a unicorn to to really get over injuries this severe. 
and be able to play the way you used to play. And we're talking about a sport where having physical exceptional ability is just a fraction of what's necessary. You know, there's a lot of other elements that need to be found. He looked good for the short amount of time he was back before that injury. So all I can hope is that he just is able to live a healthy life. I'm not really expecting or have any expectations of seeing him make a deep run anywhere ever again, personally. Now, he did say, I want to be able to come back in some shape or form. Yeah. Do you think he could come back in any shape or form? What do you think he meant by that? Uh, to me, it sounds like he wants to be able to compete at some level, even if it's not a Grand Slam winning level. That's what it sounded like. Uh, maybe a, fel- a farewell tour, maybe a much lighter schedule, less intense. We'll see him more of like old school Federer, which is just the grass and maybe the, the Grand Slams and stuff like that. But I don't think he meant like an Andy Murray return, which is just doubles for a while or anything. I don't think he meant that. Do you think he can play doubles? Let's say, let's say his uh, knee is decent enough. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Will he be willing to succumb or suppress himself down to just playing doubles? I don't think he loves playing doubles more than he loves being with his family. So for him, I think that we would see very seldom appearances from Roger Federer if he decided to just play doubles. He would not be on the true tour. I think that he loves the game so much that maybe he's willing to try it. Um, Martina Navratilova played until she was basically 50 years old. Okay. And uh, he could have a career doing that. Mm-hmm. He loves he loves the game. Yeah, he does. And I think that he can come back and play doubles if he wanted to. I hope you're right. So I'm thinking that he maybe meant that and he mm-hmm. could have a career. So I know that there's a couple of messages that people left. Do you want to read them? Uh, yeah, we have a message from Nadal. We need you on the tour, Roger. Tennis without you would not be the same. Kyrio says, please get better, GOAT. Uh, and then, of course, all the Grand Slams showing their support. French Open, Australian Open, U.S. Open. And last but not least, uh, Hugh Jackman himself said, Deb and I are sending our love for a speedy recovery. And I'm going to assume that's his wife because I don't know Hugh Jackman's personal life. But, <laughs> yeah, a lot of support from a lot of... Uh, familiar names and faces uh i'm sure most people love fetter and just want to see him back on the tour because things are better when fetter is playing tennis you know right this is a guy who brings a lot of spectatorship fans support sponsors attention to the game so yeah we hope he comes back before closing i think that murray serena venus those are the players that love the game and we should stop trying to get rid of them by asking when are you going to retire. Absolutely. You should just accept what they're doing and enjoy their greatness, basically. Mm-hmm. And whenever they want to retire, they'll retire. They love the game so much that they're willing to go through pain and agony just to play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venus, uh, she has the disease and she's still playing. Murray basically is a bionic man with the hip and he's still out there making runs he is beating good players beating good players so uh, just I one accept last it one. uh del potro said all the best amigo we will both be back that's huge <laughs> if delpo and better come back 
done. Yep, that's it. That's it. So uh, that was a lot of content, but I hope you guys were entertained. ATB.